Our gospel lesson for this evening follows the accounts of Jesus' life along with his disciples as he goes from the institution of the Lord's Supper celebrating the Passover meal to his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're reading Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 55. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them could it be who was going to do this? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves? You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would grant us understanding as we meditate upon these horrific events in which the Lord of glory is turned over into the hands of men to die for our sins and the weight of them. Lord, we ask that you would speak, for your servants are here to listen. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In his novel, Cry of the Beloved Country, Alan Patton tells the heart-wrenching story of a father who is estranged from his son. The story takes place in South Africa during a time of chaos and social upheaval in what we now know as apartheid. And sacrificing his savings, the father travels to the big city to find his son who had left the village and gone after life in the city and everything that that involved. After days of dead ends, walking mile upon mile, the father now completely exhausted, hears this news. A prominent man in South Africa who was a European, a white man, who had given his life to the cause of improving the life of the natives. He had given himself to solving the inequities and injustices of South African society. That man was murdered in his own home and that the police were now searching for three natives who were thought to have killed him. Kamalo was the father's name. As he heard this news, he was seized with fear and sadness. He was distraught. Why? Why the violence that cut short a great man's life? A man who cared, a man who had no fear in his heart, a man who loved. Why had his life been cut short? And why must his wife now raise two young children on her own? Why must the fear that will now exist between the Europeans and the natives in his home country, why must that now intensify? Because he knew the backside of this would be disastrous. And why must his own people live with such hopelessness that they would turn to crime and murder in order to provide for themselves. Kamalo asks all these questions, and beneath it he also fears. There was an irrational sense 
that there was something else happening in the story as well, that his own son was somehow tied up in this mess. And as he turns into his bed that night, Patton comments with these words, there are times, no doubt, when God seems no more to be about the world. It was the heft of the situation. It was the grief and the fear. It was the sadness and the loss that leads Patton to write these words that there are times when God seems no more to be about the world. Perhaps you can understand that in your own situations and circumstances of life. And undoubtedly, when we read Luke 22, it is one of those nights where it would be easy to say that it seems that God is no more about the world. The disciples, after receiving the Lord's Supper from Jesus, begin jockeying for position. They are arguing about who is the greatest among them. The irony is so thick that you can hardly stand it in reading the story. The plot crafted to arrest Jesus surreptitiously begins to unfold in the cover of darkness. Those who could have arrested Jesus any day now take it upon themselves to do so at night. Judas, Jesus' friend and disciple for three years, gives up hope in Jesus and he betrays him. Peter, also Jesus' friend, is told that he's going to deny Jesus, that he would do so three times. Jesus' disciples, when we get to the Garden of Eden, take up swords and cut off the, the right ear of the high priest's servant, attempting to bring the kingdom of God with violence. It's a debacle that begins to unfold here. There's sedition and exhaustion. There's despair and fatigue. There's fear and envy. There's power and unfaithfulness. That it would be easy to conclude when reading this story that God is no more about His world. That God doesn't seem to care. That He's silent. And it's easy for us to ask, where is He? But ironically, when we read the gospel accounts, this isn't where it leaves us. It's not what we find. And it's at this moment, though, in the gospels, when God seems so absent from his world that we find him profoundly at work. And there's three things that I want to draw to your attention this evening about the profundity of God's work in the middle of this incredible darkness that is unfolding with our Lord Jesus. And the first is this. In this darkness, God is renewing His plans for the world. If you'll look with me in verse 20 in chapter 22, Jesus is instituting the covenant meal with His disciples that is going to seal to their heart all of His promises of redemption. And in verse 20, He says, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. 
Jesus speaks of a new covenant, and when he brings up this language, he has also just previously referred to the coming of God's kingdom, the return of God's reign. And for a good, faithful Jewish audience, they knew what all of these words meant. These were the great promises of Jeremiah 31 and Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 59, where there was going to be a covenant that God came in and renewed in which he made the creation whole again, in which he forgave the people's sins. And Jesus picks up all of this language and says, now this meal that we are sharing together is the seal that God is renewing all of those promises And so in the middle of the darkness, God is actually deeply at work, mysteriously at work, bringing something to effect that had long ago been promised. The second piece to this is that in the darkness, God is reconciling the world to himself. Obviously, Jesus speaks of his blood And he draws it in comparison to the cup that was held between the disciples. But then as he's interacting with the disciples, he goes a step further. And you find this in verse 37. When he speaks to them, he says, For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And then Jesus quotes from Isaiah 53. And he says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. If you'll remember, Isaiah 53 is the great song of the suffering servant. It is about a mysterious figure who would come and bring about God's good news for all the nations of the earth. Hear these words once again from Isaiah 53. This is the context from which Jesus quoted But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities." He poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And this, despite all the darkness and the evil, is now what is playing out. That one who was righteous and innocent was being identified with the transgressors and would die in their place. As Paul would later say, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this, in the darkness, God works out on our behalf. And the final piece that God is working in the darkness is that he is defeating evil with love. Back in Luke 22, we find that the disciples are eager to defend Jesus. Judas has come to kiss him, to betray him. The guard is there to arrest him and to drag him off. And the disciples are ready to strike. One of them does, and he cuts off a man's ear. And Jesus' response is intriguing. He says, no more of this, enough. 
and the disciples, despite all their years with Jesus, still had a profound misunderstanding of his kingdom. That they thought the way of authority and the way of the kingdom was still by violence and by might. And they hadn't understood that Jesus' way was a different path. That he didn't stride into authority with power. That that wasn't the way of the kingdom of God. But that the way of the kingdom was through service and sacrificial service specifically. It was the way of love. Patton in Cry of the Beloved Country says it this way, There is only one thing that has power completely, and that is love. Because when a man loves, he seeks no power, and therefore he has power. And friends, this is what is true of our Lord Jesus, that he was willing to turn himself over. He became powerless in a sacrificial act of love, in order to defeat evil. Because the thing is that evil always overreaches. And evil claimed Jesus, took him down into death, but because he was righteous, death will not be able to hold him. And we'll resolve that on Sunday as to the great benefits that then break into our world because of it. But Jesus was willing to hand himself into the darkness in order to destroy the power of evil. If there ever was a night to say that God was no more about the world, it is this night, some 2,000 years ago, where Jesus is handed over, and we find every bit of sin and unfaithfulness that we as God's images can conjure up in this story. And yet, despite all the sin and unfaithfulness and the evil that is at play here, God is executing His plan. And He's working out the redemption of the world. That He has it in hand. That He was renewing His plan to renew the nations of the earth. That He was renewing His plan to reconcile sinners to Himself. That He would at last overcome the sin of Adam and defeat it once and for all. Friends, it's just not the case that God has ever forsaken His world. He is faithful to it. And the strongest bond of commitment is the death of His Son. And so in the midst of the darkness, as we remember the weight of sin, its tragedy in our world, we also know that underneath this, we're held by the loving hands of God. That He has fully given Himself to us and to our cause and that you're never forsaken by him. Let's pray. Father, on this night, as we do remember all that befell our Lord Jesus and all the tragedy that strikes him and the evil, Lord, we ask that we would find rich meditation upon your great love that is revealed in these things. Draw us and move us. Let us know of our great salvation that he has won for us and the great plans you have in a renewed covenant for your world. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.